Happy Friday, Story Fam. And happy 4th of July weekend, of course. I hope you're going to find some fun and some meaningful way to celebrate the birth of our nation this weekend. I know that America is by no means perfect. But you know, I was thinking, and in the broader landscape of flawed countries and kingdoms, there's really no place on earth that I'd rather call home than the good old U.S. of A., even though it has its problems. We have so much to be thankful for as Americans, and so as you prepare to grill some unholy combination and quantity of meats and to watch grown men blow things up in the sky like they're little boys again, I would encourage you to take a sidebar with God this weekend just to thank him, you know, to thank him for all the rights and all the freedoms to which all Americans have been declared entitled through no doing of our own, simply by virtue of his grace and having been made by him and his image. So, hey, if you're in town this weekend uh, for the 4th, I, I would encourage you to come and celebrate God's goodness with us on Sunday morning at our River Oaks campus or at our new Timber Grove campus. Um, and if you're out of town or you can't make it in person, join us online for um, uh, Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 on any of the platforms where we stream online worship, YouTube, Facebook, and, of course, at thestory.church. Now let's get to this week's reflection. It's all about being honest with yourself and, more importantly, with God about the mistakes that you've made in the past. I hope this devotion, this reflection is a blessing to you today. And if it is, I encourage you to share it with your friends, pass it on to them so they can be blessed as well. This reflection is called The Importance of Owning Your Past. Last Sunday at The Story, Hale Kinchin, our Timber Grove campus pastor, shared a message about Rahab the prostitute, as she is called four different times in the Bible. And I can't stop thinking about Rahab. Kale's point in this message was that even though Rahab was a sex worker with an unholy reputation, God intentionally chose her to carry out his mission on the earth. This is a running theme in Scripture. God always insists on using the least worthy people to do the most important things. So prevalent is this pattern that we are only left to assume that God is far more comfortable with our sins and our scandals and our past than most of us are. Not only did Rahab's past not disqualify her, but her imperfect track record made her the perfect candidate for God's purposes. In John chapter 4, Jesus traveled to Samaria, which was known to be enemy territory at the time because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the feeling was mutual. John tells us that it was the middle of the day, so it was scorching hot. So Jesus stopped for a drink of water at the well that his ancestor Jacob had built more than a thousand years before. And while he was there sitting on this well, a Samaritan woman came to the same well to draw water for her family. Immediately, Jesus knew something was off with her because it was the middle of the day. And in those days, women naturally drew water early in the morning before it got too hot, before their families woke up. So he spoke to her, which was unexpected, because by merely speaking to her, he broke two or three religious laws and, and social mores. Nevertheless, Jesus told her about his special water that he knew of that, that she could drink one time and never feel thirsty again. Now, it's hard to know at that point in the story whether the woman really believed Jesus at first or whether she was just playing along, but she did say, Listen, I'll do anything to not have to come back to this well again. And so Jesus told her to go back and get her husband and come back, and he would tell her all about this, uh, this special water. 
And the woman answered, I have no husband. Then Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you have now isn't even your husband. He's just your boo. That's a paraphrase. That's what Jesus meant. And then he said, What you have said is true. Just then, Jesus' disciples came back, and they, it, the story says they were astonished, which means they were shocked and appalled that Jesus was speaking with a Samaritan woman, no less, and in particular, a Samaritan woman who had five husbands and was shacking up with her sixth man. And then the woman left her water jar and came back to the city where she was from, to the village, and she said to the people there, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, the story says. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. So we see now why the woman didn't want to go get the water in the morning when the other women would be there. She was the subject of the rumor mill. She was an outcast, married five times, shacking up with her boo. She was the woman all the other women talked about when they got together. That's why she said, I'll do anything to never have to come back to this well again. Almost immediately, Jesus confronted her with Brutal honesty, really, about her sin, both her past and present sin. And the moment that she was willing to acknowledge her sin and the, the truth of her reality before Jesus, she immediately found the courage to go then and tell the whole village about Jesus. Her life immediately mattered in ways that it hadn't before. And it all changed the moment she decided to get real and honest with Jesus about her past. This woman with this past became the world's first woman preacher, one of the world's first Christian evangelists. And because of her testimony, everyone in her village heard about Jesus, and many of them decided to follow him. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit that very village in that story, and it's one of the last Christian villages in Samaria, uh, in the Holy Land. And one of the world's oldest churches stands about a mile from Jacob's well. And it's there that there is a shrine that stands to this day built in honor of this woman who had five husbands and who was living in sin with a sixth. And this woman who came to draw water alone in the middle of the day, she has a shrine built in her honor. It still stands, you know, 2,000 years after she lived. It's so easily lost on us how crazy God can be with stuff like this. You know, preachers and churches, we try to domesticate him and normalize him by making him more like us, more normal. But God cannot be gentrified or sanitized. By modern day standards, God is insane. And it's not because he's actually insane, right? Don't get me wrong. It's because we are, but our insanity is normal. And so he, he looks to us to be reckless with the way that he he loves and calls imperfect people. You know, he's perfect, but he loves imperfect, imperfect people. He's holy, but he insists on using unholy people to do his bidding. It just doesn't compute, but that's who God is. And that's, it should be good news for us. 
because it means that God can take your worst mess, your greatest shame, and turn it into your greatest blessing. And he gives you a part to play in your own redemption story, right? You have a part to play in this. Just like Jesus confronted the woman with her reality of her sin, as uncomfortable as that conversation must have been, he still confronts us with ours today through the Holy Spirit. And if you're ever going to overcome your past, you're going to have to own it first. You're going to have to own your past. And that means confessing your mistakes, refusing to point fingers, refusing to blame others for the messes you make. We've all got people that we can blame for our problems, right? I hear it all the time. It's not my fault. I have a temper. My dad had a temper. It's not my fault. I failed that class. That teacher hates me. It's not my fault. My marriage fell apart. My ex had the affair. You know, we're always deflecting blame and shame. And when I think about all of my problems, you know, and all the things that have gone wrong in my life, all the mistakes, mishaps, and misfortunes, there's only one person that they all share in common. You care to guess who that is? <laughs> Me. I'm the only common denominator for all of my problems, for all my past issues. And the same is true for you and your problems and your past. And so we can keep blaming everybody else or we can own our past like the woman at the well. Owning your past doesn't mean getting down on yourself. It doesn't mean beating yourself up or hanging your head. You'll always have certain doubts about yourself. You'll always second guess and wonder what if, you know. You'll always have these moments in life where you wonder if you strayed too far for too long um, to be redeemed, you know. You'll always have haters and naysayers reminding you of who you used to be or who they think you are. All of the women in Jesus' family tree faced the haters every day. Rahab, uh, Ruth. Bathsheba, you know, all of these, all of these women were women with a reputation for different reasons, right? And, and so the woman at the well is no different. She faced the haters every day. As she stood up to share the gospel, for example, she faced the people who called her the names they called her. So she had to own her past so that her past wouldn't own her. And that's really the best way, if not the only way, to not be owned by your past, is to be open about it, to own it. Anytime Jesus confronts you about your past choices or your sins, it's not just to judge you or to punish you, it's to redeem you. No matter what choices you regret making, no matter how the consequences of those choices may still be haunting you today, there is no mess too messy for Jesus. Just look at his family tree. Jesus came from the mess. Look at the people that he called. Jesus loved the mess. Jesus is right at home with your mess, whatever it is. Just trust him with it. Tell him about it. He'll receive it. He'll love you through it. And if you let him, he'll lead you toward a future that's better and brighter than your past. That's all for this week, everybody. I can't wait to see you Sunday morning at the story. And once again, have a safe and happy 4th of July weekend. Bye, everybody.